Hello, hello, and welcome back to episode two. Today's episode is about shame spirals. Ugh, the dreaded shame spiral. Let's talk about what that is and how to get out of one if you find yourself in it. Stay tuned. Ugh, I found myself in a shame spiral this morning. And this is probably like my millionth one since I was a kid, right? (laughs) I mean, I think we've probably all been in at least one shame spiral in our lifetime, but I would safely bet that it's more in the thousands. (laughs) Thankfully, now at the ripe age of 37, I have a lot more tools to pull myself out of one before I relapse into a depression over it. So I actually thought today that I would go ahead and do a podcast episode about some of the insights that I've gained from surviving thousands of these same types of shame spirals. So if you haven't heard of the term shame spiral before, um, Basically, it's that feeling of unworthiness or humiliation that you get over something that you did, like maybe a mistake you made, um, something that happened, a choice you made, something involving you that you kind of ruminate on later, right? You look back on and you go, oh, God, why did I do that? How could I have been so stupid or so weak or so blind? Why did I make that decision? Like, oh, God, what was I thinking, right? And that's basically where I found myself today. Um, I had been kind of shame spiraling for about a day or so. Um, Without going into great gruesome detail, basically I made a poor decision and that decision frustrated a close friend of mine. And when she confronted me about it, I came clean to her, but unfortunately at that point it had already begun this rapid descent down the slippery little spiral of shame. (laughs) So here's how I handled it. First and foremost, shame is going to manifest as oftentimes several different emotions. So for me, it manifests as feelings of embarrassment, guilt, and low self-worth. Okay. And so those emotions stir up a lot of biological processes in my body. One way that those emotions show up in my body is this hot, tense sensation that I get in my upper upper abdomen area, okay? It's like almost like an anxiety feeling. And then I also find that my brow furrows and my lips start to purse, like I have something to say, but I just can't figure out what to say, you know, like I just want to scream. And then that can manifest into other things if it's prolonged, like a migraine or um, tension in my shoulders. Um, It definitely disturbs my sleep, so I might have trouble staying asleep or falling asleep. And I have these vivid dreams that evoke a lot of emotion in me. So when you're, you know, cycling through all of these emotions, the best thing to do is to just sit with them. Just sit with them. Don't analyze them. Don't judge them just sit. Sit there and allow your feelings to run their course. Notice where those feelings manifest in your body. So I gave you some examples of how they manifest in my body. And just let it run its course. That's it. I promise you these feelings do not last forever. In fact, um, emotions at at their weakest, emotions last 
maybe 90 seconds, you know, the worst of them. And then at their, at the most heightened, and this is after like a, a, a extremely or deeply traumatic event, they last at most 10 minutes. Okay. But usually they'll, they'll kind of come in waves. So when they come in those waves, we just need to ride it out just like you would ride out a wave in the ocean. Okay. Just write that thing out, sit there, feel it, notice where it manifests in your body. Don't try to analyze it. Don't judge it. Just let the emotion be and run its course. That's step one. So that's what I did today. Sat there and just let it wash over me. Right. It doesn't feel great at first, but once it finishes the cycle, it, it just kind of ends and I feel like relieved. Like, okay, cool. It's gone. Like it just washed over me and now I come back to kind of a baseline. So once I'm back at my baseline, now I have the ability to, to, to go through this process of self-compassion. So this is where I have to kind of give myself a pep talk and remind myself that mistakes make me human. I'm a human being. And a lot of my, my motivation is part of, it, it comes from my conditioning, right? Like, so I, you know, human humans are motivated by very primitive things. We're motivated by our hunger. We're motivated by our sex drive. We're motivated by um, an avoidance of pain or the pursuit of pleasure. There are very primal things that motivate us. And so we have to remember that we're human and we have these primal motivations. And a lot of the decisions we make and the mistakes we make are just a part of our conditioning. And this is where, this is how, um, you know, what sets us apart from our furry friends is that we can learn from those mistakes and do better next time and grow, right? So I want you to think of this, the self-compassion part of it, I always like to think of it this way. So I identify as female. And so when I think about my inner child, I of course think about a little girl. And so I just want you to imagine yourself, little you, and you are brand new to this world, just a little, little guy or a little girl or a little however you identify and you've spilled your drink. You didn't mean to, but you're so new to the world. You're brand new. You're a little baby human. You're just trying to navigate the world with your underdeveloped motor skills and your limited wisdom. And so you wouldn't want to be berated or belittled for making this small mistake. And so I want you to treat yourself that same way as a grown-up. Show yourself that same level of compassion. I made a mistake. I am learning. And this is part of the reparenting process. Okay. This is you reparenting yourself. Last step. This part is the crucial part. So after you've sat with your feelings, you've acknowledged them, you've let them run their course. You've shown yourself compassion and grace for being a human who has made a mistake. Now you need to remember, remind yourself that you are deserving of love even when you screw up. This is the hardest part of the process <laughs> because when we were kids, our well-meaning parents and teachers tried to teach us how to be a person in the world by shaming us when we messed up. 
even the little ways that they shamed us, like making us flip our card from green to red or orange, you know, and the whole class could see that we were on that, that we were on alert for our behavior, you know, sometimes some of our parents, you know, thought that telling us I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed was good parenting, you know, and, and I'm not saying that they were bad parents, but what our parents didn't realize is how detrimental to our psyche those little statements and acts of shaming us really were. They, they were just detrimental to us. So they did these things, though, helping, uh, hoping that it would help us grow. You know, we look at it as, well, if we if we let them know that this is wrong, then they won't do it again. Right. It's it just it seems logical. The problem is, is that it this this act of of um, shaming as a method of behavior modification for children is a great way to crush a child's little soul. Okay. And the reason being is because most of our caregivers overused it. And so because of that, we've been hardwired since childhood to believe that when we mess up, no matter how small that mistake is, we are now undeserving of grace, of love, and of belonging as a form of punishment or as a, as a consequence. And so because as human beings, we are born with this instinctive need for connection and belonging. When we are ashamed, we believe now that our connection and our belonging to our family and friends is in danger because of something we did. And so, of course, our brains being hardwired, we're like, oh my gosh, well, I don't definitely don't want to be shunned or outcasted or ostracized from my tribe. So I need to shame myself to motivate myself to not do something like that again. But as a child, that is an unbearable feeling, unbearable because kids need their caregivers, kids need their families, they need their friends. We, we need our parents to survive when we're little. So the thought that we might be uh, ostracized in some way at the most, at the most vulnerable time in our lives is just, as I said, an unbearable feeling for a kid. And so when these incidences are continuous, these continuous incidences of shame as a child will manifest in adulthood as feelings of low self-worth. I screwed up, therefore I am no longer worthy of being a part of this group that I value. So the good news about this is that once you are aware of this, that this deep-seated feeling that you have, that you aren't worthy of love or belonging because you messed up, is actually a huge lie. It's a huge lie. It's just simply not true. You are deserving of love and belonging even when you make a mistake. Yep, even the really big ones. Love is your birthright. In fact, to prove this to you, I challenge you to... to Look a newborn baby in the face and tell me that you believe that baby is not worthy of love because they will make mistakes later in life. 
you can't do it. Because inherently, you know that that baby is worthy of love just because they were born. Right? They didn't ask to be born into this world. And because of that, you were born worthy too. That baby is no more worthy of love than you are simply because you have progressed chronologically through life a bit more than they have. Your worthiness of love did not cease to be true because you've grown up and made mistakes. The crazy part of this thinking, this this distorted way of thinking about our mistakes and our worthiness this connection that we've made between our mistakes and our worthiness is that we all agree that being flawed and making mistakes is part of the human condition. We all agree that. In fact, we all agree on that. In fact, we say to ourselves and to others in conversation, oh, making a mistake is human. You're human. So if having flaws and making mistakes makes you human, and we're all human, then it would be crazy to believe that being what we were born to be means we aren't worthy of love. If being flawed and making mistakes means you aren't worthy of love, then I want somebody out there to tell me who on this planet would be worthy of love then. Because there is simply no one alive or dead in the history of the world who is free from flaws or errors in judgment. Right? So are we to believe that humans are are not worthy of love because they are human and do human things? No, of course not. What's the point of this wonderful, crazy life if love isn't even part of the journey? Right? So the next time you find yourself in a shame spiral, I want you to remember, sit with those emotions and let them run their course. First and foremost, Because you want to let that part wash over you and pass before you start trying to get into your analytical brain. Okay? You just, you can't be in the analytical part of your brain when you are in in, uh, the throes of emotion. After you've let those emotions run your course, you've sat with them, you've identified them in your body, you are not judging them, you're not analyzing, you're just letting them run through you letting that energy pass, then I want you to show yourself the same compassion and grace that you would show little you who was just learning how to be a person. You get to show yourself that same exact compassion even at whatever age you are now. I don't care if you're 25 or 37 or 76 or 99. Okay? Mistakes make you human. They do not make you unlovable. Those two things do not go together. Finally, don't forget that you were born worthy and lovable simply because you were born. Love is your birthright. So give yourself the love that you were born deserving. Happy healing. See you next time.